Good morning. It's uh, refreshing to gather together again on the Lord's Day. Feel free to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 14 this morning. Do you ever have to say things twice to people? I know that I sometimes do. I'm sometimes on the giving end of that and sometimes on the receiving end as well. But this time, when um, this morning we're hearing Paul say to Timothy this charge again, it might be familiar to you. But always with that second time, there's some emphasis added, it seems like, to make sure things are clear and heard and understood. Like I said, several weeks ago, Ryan preached in 1 Timothy from chapter 6 at the end of the letter where we see Paul exhorting Timothy to guard the good deposit entrusted to him. He goes on to tell Timothy to avoid irreverent babble and um, contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. If you've taken any time to look at today's passage, you might see some of the similarities um, between this passage and the passage that ended Paul's first letter to Timothy. The frequency of this charge and the frequent acknowledgement of the problem of false teachers in the church in Ephesus must grab our attention. As I was preparing for this sermon, I remembered a scene from my favorite series of books, The Chronicles of Narnia. In the book, The Silver Chair, Aslan, the mighty lion, charges the children to remember four signs along their journey. He says, But first, remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night. And whatever strange things may happen to you, Let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. And secondly, I give you a warning. Here on the mountain, I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so down in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. And the signs which you have learned here will not look at all as you expect them to look when you meet them there. That is why it is so important to know them by heart and pay no attention to appearances. Remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. Christian, the signs we have been given are the very words of God. Know them by heart. Remember them. Believe them. Let nothing turn your mind from following them. So as we look at our Father's world around us, may God's word be um, the signs that we remember as true and good and right and beautiful. Maybe let those things be the framework, the lens, and the standard by which we speak life into this world as we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. So out of respect for this standard of truth, the very words of God our Father, I invite you to stand if you're able as I read 2 Timothy 2 verses 14 through 19. Paul here is speaking to Timothy and he says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. 
they are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Let's pray. Father, your word is a light to us. Pray that you would illumine it this morning. Father, may believers be edified by the preaching of your word. And Father, may people who don't know Christ, who aren't trusting in Christ, who are finding it hard to trust in Christ during these days, may those people be strengthened um, by the grace that you freely give because of the Son. And so, Father, we, we love you. Pray that your word would be preached and that your name would be glorified this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the midst of all the things going on in the world around us today, it's my goal this morning to motivate you to stand firm on God's firm foundation. Paul here in this text is instructing Timothy on how to address false teachers and teachings happening in the church as well as what to tell the people who have got caught up in the middle of the turbulence. I love how one commentator frames Paul's charge to Timothy. The bottom line of Paul's charge is God's desire to save his creation, as we just heard Ryan talking about earlier. And we know that God right now is saving his creation. He has given us a commission and a message to bring the news of salvation to all the world. So how does Paul remind Timothy here about the work that we've been given. When looking at this passage, Paul presents this charge in this language of contrast. You might see that. Avoid this or don't do this and do this or remember this. It's much like the put off and put on or flee and pursue language that our elders often highlight for us. So the basis of Paul's charge here is to avoid irreverent babble and instead to rest in Jesus, our firm foundation. But before we unpack those points, I think it's important for you to know, before you might check out and think that Paul's words here don't apply in your life, know that Paul's words to a young man and timid pastor are relevant for you. As one pastor says, though you may not be young or male or timid or a pastor, the foundations that Paul gives to Timothy, why he should embrace suffering in service of the gospel instead of running from it, and why he should press on confidently and courageously in his work, are the same foundations that you should embrace your suffering in the path of obedience and not run from it, why you should press on confidently and courageously in your work. So first, what does it mean then to avoid reverent babble? What is it? Why must we avoid it? And how should we avoid it? trust that you also see we live in a day and age where everyone is making truth claims constantly. And these claims are usually backed with a fire hose full of emotion driving these claims. Sometimes these claims can sound good and correct on the surface, but it takes some concentrated effort to figure out by what standard people are making these assertions. It takes wisdom to discern what is true from what is false. And it takes courage to stand for what is true and confront that which is not. So what is a reverent babble? Take a look at the beginning of verse 14 with me again. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Timothy, remind them. Timothy, charge them before 
God. After spending 24 Sundays now in these pastoral epistles, the problem that he was facing in the church shouldn't come as a surprise to us. It was as early as verse 3 in chapter 1 of Paul's first letter that he told him to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And now in Paul's second letter to Timothy during his second imprisonment, we see that the same issue of false teachers spreading irreverent doctrines amongst the church was still happening. Hymenaeus is still on the move. Another translation that Ryan gave us a couple weeks ago for irreverent babble is empty words. That's all these things are. They don't hold any weight or truth, but it's spreading. It's like gangrene, infectious and repulsive and damaging. So why must we avoid this repulsive, damaging, infectious um, ideas that are circulating? These aren't preventative measures that Paul is giving to Timothy. Make sure you do this so that this doesn't happen. These are remedial and urgent. Timothy, charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Timothy, grow a backbone. See the effect it is having on the church. What was the effect that these things were having on the church? In verse 14, it does no good, but only ruins the hearers, destroys the hearers. Verse 16, it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Verse 17, the talk spreads like gangrene. Verse 18, there are people who have swerved from the truth and they're upsetting the faith of some. The results that these false, irreverent, empty words were having were devastating, catastrophic. And the basis of this babble being irreverent is explained right here in the passage. Verse 15, you have Paul saying, the basis of our approval lies within rightly handling the word of truth without shame. In verse 16, then, Paul says that the basis of their destructive tactics is that it's their talk that will spread like gangrene. One is based on an authority outside of ourselves, while the other lives lies within the sinful heart of man. So how are we to avoid this irreverent babble? We see that it's there. We see that it's spreading. How are we to avoid it, as Paul says? Now, I think if we're not careful, it could be really easy to take Paul's charge not to quarrel about words and to avoid irreverent babble as just stay quiet, mind your own business. That would be easy, wouldn't it? But that isn't what Paul is saying. Paul is telling Timothy to remind the church to not stoop to their level, to not use their irreverent tactics. Paul uses the word avoid here. It's important to notice that this word avoid is an action verb. It's not passive indifference to what is going on. It's conscious awareness of what is going on. I think the initial idea that comes to our mind is to steer clear of these irreverent ideas. That's one way to avoid irreverent quarreling. Avoid it. Don't go near it. Another aspect to avoiding irreverent quarreling is to engage it or confront it. So we have avoid it and don't go near it, engage it or confront it. These are all right responses to um, this irreverent babble. Paul's words in Titus 1, when he's writing to Titus, are helpful when he says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. This brings clarity to the way that we are to avoid these empty talkers 
and what ways we are to engage them. Don't believe them or fall for their deceptive messages, but do silence them for the sake of the faith of others. A reverent babble is circulated in foolishness. They claim that it's wisdom, but it is folly. Proverbs 14.7 says, Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet the words of knowledge. So while you have on the one end the quarreling, the irreverent empty words, the ungodly tactics, here's what our text for next week says regarding what the Lord's servant must do. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The goal of confronting quarrelsome people is to show them the door towards the way of escape. The way of escape includes a coming to their senses, repentance, and a coming to the knowledge of the truth. The goal of confronting quarrelsome people is to gain a brother or sister made in the image of God, but ensnared to do the devil's will. So if this danger exists in the world, and even in the church, then how can the church continue to exist? Well, we find an answer to this in the rest of this charge given to Timothy. Paul's answer is to rest in Jesus, our firm foundation. Paul says, do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You might be thinking, what does it mean to present yourself as one approved? When I was first reading through and studying this text, I thought that this part was referring to our justification. Present yourself as one approved, justified before God. But after looking at the larger context of what Paul is addressing in this letter to young Timothy, here in verse 15, Paul is urging him to press on. Timothy, I know it's going to be hard. Timothy, I know that people aren't always going to like what you have to say. Timothy, I know that you're going to consistently battle the temptation to feel ashamed or discouraged. Timothy, it's going to be easy to look to yourself for strength. Timothy, you are going to be tested and you are going to suffer. But it's like what Josh read from 1 Peter earlier. Let those who suffer according to God's will present their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Timothy, present yourself to God Entrust yourself to our faithful creator and press on in the ministry of the word. Logan assured us last week that suffering is going to come. It's a requirement in following Jesus. And as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised when this suffering comes. Yes, it can surely be difficult to walk through. But as Christians, our response to experiencing suffering is an incredible opportunity to show the world who God is. In my own life, over the last month, it seems like I've had disappointment after disappointment after disappointment piling up. My gut reaction is my fleshly reaction to respond in a way that I think will make me feel better or serve myself. But in that experience of disappointment, I know that the way in which I press on, however I respond to the situation, 
is going to say something about who I believe God to be. The world is watching. So I share this with you because that's what Paul is telling Timothy throughout this entire letter, and specifically here in verse 15. Paul is telling Timothy to press on in the face of suffering and protecting the flock because of his responsibility and rightly speaking the word of truth. And we all bear this responsibility as believers to suffer in such a way that it gives the world a correct picture of who God is. 1 Timothy 6, 12, Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The hope we have of being found in Christ is the very foundation that we can rest in and work from. Pastor C.J. Mahaney says, What joy the gospel gives me. I can approach the throne of God with confidence, not because I've done a good job at my spiritual duties, but because I am clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not in us, friends. The Lord speaks through the prophet Isaiah, recorded in Isaiah 28, and says, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said we've made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. In the middle of a fallen world with deceitful, false teachers, people falling away from the faith, abortion, homosexuality, overreaching politicians, sex slavery, Marxist organizations, absent fathers and mothers, disobedient children, and the list goes on. In the midst of all of that, God speaks into that and says, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion. The foundation, this stone, is Jesus. In the midst of a fallen world where anything that people try to build crumbles, we know that God gave his son, Jesus, as the tested, precious cornerstone, a sure and immovable foundation. So Paul urges Timothy to press on and rest in God's firm foundation. Verse 19 says, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. The beginning of this verse here starts with the word but. And it's helpful to notice these prepositions at the beginning of a statement because that gives us a clue that something important is following. The importance of what follows this preposition here in verse 19 is what Timothy needed to hear as well as what we, right now, by the grace of God, need to hear. Paul addresses the mess of what is happening in the church in Ephesus and assures Timothy that God's firm foundation still stands. Just watch what is going on in the world right now. It's enough to make us sweat or worry or lose hope. But God says, here is where I lie. Here is truth, something to trust and believe in. Paul seeks to reassure Timothy of what standing firm on God's firm foundation means when he says, God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, 
and let anyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. It's this theological paradox. God is sovereign in knowing and keeping his people, and man is responsible for departing from reverent iniquity. Paul doesn't pit these two things against each other like many people do today, but he shows how these two things go together hand in hand. It's two sides of the same coin. The Lord knows those who are his. He's going to preserve the community of faith formed around him. Christ is present as protector and redeemer, but also is a judge who will vindicate his truth and his people. Now this isn't meant to make you worry, wondering if you are his. He knows you, Christian. We have a God who knows us intimately. This isn't a sense of knowing in awareness or knowledge, but in relationship. Like a husband knows his wife, so too does our Father know and care for those who are his. He understands what you're going through, whether it's sickness or sadness, loneliness or loss. And he gives you the grace you need for that very specific detail in your life that allows you to keep running the race. The Lord knows those who are his and sympathizes with our weaknesses, the ways we all fall short. He's going to preserve the community of faith, his church. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, find grace to help in time of need. So then when addressing man's responsibility, the encouraging thing that I find when pairing that with God's sovereignty is that it's the Spirit of God that dwells within us, allowing us to um, walk in his ways. This takes the heavy pressure I feel off of my shoulders. I don't have to muster up or produce something in and of myself to make things happen. God has given me a new heart that allows me to hate my sinful tendency of walking in my own way, and instead I'm able to delight in doing God's will. God causes all things to happen, but he does so in a way that he upholds our ability to make willing, responsible choices that have real and eternal results for which we are held accountable. Paul says here, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul tells the people in Corinth, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is a call to faithfulness and endurance amidst people swerving all around you. It's the very faithfulness of God that gives us the ability to be faithful ourselves. Our responsibility of departing from iniquity is required of being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It's mandatory and 100% possible to do because Jesus has already paid the full penalty for your sin and mine. He was forsaken so that we wouldn't be. He suffered alone so that we wouldn't have to. Therefore, beloved people of Emmaus Road Church, friends and family, because of the love of Christ for you, depart from iniquity. Because of this pairing of the sovereignty of God in protecting and building his church and the responsibility of man in departing from irreverent iniquity, Paul's able to remind a weary Timothy that God's firm foundation stands. People have swerved from the truth and are upsetting the faith 
of people in the church, but God's firm foundation stands. People's irreverent babble spreads like gangrene, but God's firm foundation stands. People might heap up empty claims of condemnation against you, but God's firm foundation stands. People claim that boys can be girls and girls can be boys, but God's firm foundation stands. People try to define justice by their own terms and feelings, but God's firm foundation stands. People can tear down statues all they want, but our foundation stands. They can't touch the church. It rests in God and not us. There is a foundation and it is God's foundation. I'd like to conclude with sharing a letter that was written by Charles Spurgeon to his students. He says, We have a fixed faith to preach, my brethren. and We are sent forth with a definite message from God. The book is a divine production. It is perfect. It is the last court of appeal. The judge which ends the strife. We must be ready to give up anything and everything for the sake of the principles which we have espoused. And must be ready to offend our best supporters, to alienate our warmest friends, sooner than betray our consciences. We must be ready to be beggars in purse and off-scourings in reputation, rather than act treacherously. We can die, but we cannot deny the truth. The cost is already counted, and we are determined to buy the truth at any price and sell it at no price. Everybody is doubting everything. Well, brethren, as the age is of doubting, it is wise for us to put our foot down and stand still where we are sure we have truth beneath us. We have a solid foundation to rest in, Mace Road Church. Let not anything come between you in defending the precious truth that we have been given. Know that our Lord and Savior has called you from death into his marvelous marvelous light for this purpose. You need not fear. You are able to hold out this gospel and this good news to the world, for it is our Father's world. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to be gathered with these people, the people of Emmaus Road Church, with friends and family. Father, I'm just mindful this morning, and I have been this week, of the joy that we have in gathering, but there are many people, many people who love you and who you love that are abandoned, who are cut off, who are imprisoned. Father, they aren't able to gather like we are this morning. Father, I pray that they would be encouraged. I pray that we would remember those people in their chains. Father, we thank you for this firm foundation that you have given all of us, all people who would call upon your name. Father, we have this firm foundation so we don't need to fear stepping into the world, stepping into this ungodly culture that is just circulating around us. Father, we can't, it seems like sometimes we can't get away from it. But let us come back. Let us come back to something that we know doesn't change. It's outside of us, Father. It's good. It's for our good. So, Father, may we hold out this good gospel, this word, um, this saving truth to the world, knowing that our God and Father holds this world in his hands. Amen.